You can hear some of this language today, can't you? Vassal, we heard that word recently. Anyway, anyway so to raise the money, uh, Jehoiakim taxed the land heavily and exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. And you can read about that in 2 Kings 30, uh, 23. After the Egyptians were defeated by the Babylonians at the Battle of Carchemish, another big fight brewing in the background, Nebuchadnezzar II besieged Jerusalem, and Jehoiakim changed allegiances to avoid the destruction of Jerusalem. So you can tell you've got a king whose sort of heart is in the right place, but he's missed the point. They ended up paying tribute from the treasury in Jerusalem and some of the temple artifacts as well, which is why they turn up in Daniel, in the book of Daniel. And he handed over some of the royal family, well, okay, and the nobility as hostages. So this is a fairly unscrupulous man, and he's got more in mind of a sort of a Dickens character, or maybe that's where Dickens got his inspiration from. Uh, But he's a very uh, difficult person to be leading a country and to be called your king whose land was not being led by a particularly stable reliable or trustworthy person certainly in terms of putting their trust in God which is what the people's kings were supposed to do and so we have this problem for the people and first of all we've got this dynamic that God's righteous judgment which is promised in the covenant curses all the way back to Moses when the people made a covenant with God God said this is good stuff I mean he actually says look see I've set before you today life and goodness as well as death and disaster I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways this is Moses to keep his commandments statutes and ordinances so that you may live and increase But if your heart turns away and you don't listen, but are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you today that you will perish and you shall not prolong your days in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So in their history, the Jewish people had this covenant relationship with God. And it was more profound and deeper than than some of the things that we might sort of consider a promise. It's about his entire relationship with them it 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 almost identifies God because he's so identified with these people he repeatedly calls himself your God you know his relationship with them is really important and here is this warning all the way back uh, to Moses just reminding them that if you stray if you start putting your reliance in other gods and other nations You won't hold on to the land. The other thing, of course, is that while they were in that land, God had made these promises. So the second tension they've got is this promise to shepherd and look after his people. And that's the role of the king. But these shepherd kings have on the whole been rubbish. If you've read the book of Kings, and some of us have, we can basically summarize it saying they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Pretty much all but about four of them. Now, it's important because God had made promises to David when he was king, and his promise included, I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore. And so the people, because of this king, 
find themselves in this situation where they are living under the curses of the covenant and missing out on the hope of the promises that God has made with them. They must have felt terribly lost because they knew there was somewhere they should be, but they were nowhere near it. And emotionally and physically, we can sometimes feel like that with our relationship with God, with our relationship with the church. That sometimes it just doesn't work. It's just not right. There's things going on that mean I can't get to where I want to be. There's a frustration. There's a sense of loss because we're in this turmoil about what we have done. And so when Jeremiah speaks to the people, uh, it's lovely the sorts of things he says because we're not supposed to be living in fear. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be the people we're supposed to be, uh, living in this covenant, reflecting the loving nature of the God who says, as a father carries his son, so I have loved you. And that's what they were supposed to be doing. And yet we find God's character still pushing through this horrible situation. We find him saying some really positive things, don't we? He says, I will take up, their, he will take up their cause. He's talking to these shepherds, among whom are these poor kings. Okay, so if you look at verse 2, he says, this is what the Lord God of Israel says to the shepherds around who tend my people. Now, you've turned out, you know, he's talking about the kings and the institutions around them. And he says, because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. It's one of the most amazing things that God does. It's one, one of the most wonderful things, actually, sometimes, is that he actually takes up your causes. He actually picks up the stuff that you can't deal with or that is causing you the most pain and causing you the most frustration. He says, I will deal with this. And these are things beyond their control. And God decides, I will deal with it. There is a God who acts on our behalf. If we've ever doubted whether that's possible, just remind yourself that Jesus says, behold, I have overcome the world. There's nothing in the world <laughs> that can come between you and him. And he has undertaken to look after you. And he does that in this wonderful way. The, other, the next thing he says is, I myself will gather them in. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back. The lovely image, I myself, God takes responsibility to look after us. We're not in a relationship with a God who's kind of flippant or, oh yeah, I forgot about that, or I'll get round to it. It's God who takes responsibility for our care. I sometimes wonder, I mean, for, certainly for myself, do I actually believe that? Do I actually believe that I am that interesting to him? Or of that much interest to him? That he's prepared to do that? And it's a thought I can't get my head around, but I know it's true. We just struggle sometimes to do that, don't we? And then he looks, and you think about that imagery in John 10, where Jesus describes that he is the good shepherd. The others were hopeless. 
that he's the one who comes in and lets them come in and find pasture and leads them and they know his voice and there's a there's a quite a, uh, an intense sense of relationship there. So it's an important part of God's character for this people who are feeling lost. And then in order to maintain them and to keep them, he says, I will place shepherds over them, verse 4, who will tend them. And then this lovely words, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified. They will no longer be afraid or terrified. How often does the Bible say, people in the Bible say, do not be afraid. How often does an angel turn up and say, do not be afraid? How often does Jesus say, do not be afraid? How often when God speaks to the people, do not be afraid? For people living in fear, this is terrific stuff, isn't it? I mean, in a good way, not terrifying, but good. You know, it's encouraging that God is, is wanting to do that. And if you were thinking, well, you know, these are people who are trapped, knowing that their sin because they're living under a king who encourages them to sin, who has led them astray. Here's a people who are terrified because their sin separates them from God. And yet here they can hear God wanting to come and, and sort things out for them. What they're waiting for is the king who takes up their, um, their cause, who will act, take responsibility for them, and who will look after them. It's quite a powerful image, isn't it? But that's the kind of relationship that God wants with his people. It's not the kind of relationship the people expect from God. Which is, which is the wrong way around, isn't it? Um, I have a very good friend called Chris. That's his name. I haven't changed it for purposes of an anonymity. And for a while... Um, his driving got him into, let's say, situation where having a car was expensive. And so he asked if I could, he could borrow a bike. And he borrowed a bike that I owned. And he borrowed it for six months. And when he returned it, having sort of no, no longer needing the bike, he said, well, uh, thank you very much for the bike, but I think you'll need the brakes and the tyres need rep replacing. The brakes are a bit worn and the tyres tread is almost gone. So I thought... Initially, I thought, well, of course it hurts. You've had it for six months. But actually, the more important thing was that he had what he needed. And the relationship isn't broken simply because he used, he used my bike. I gave him the bike knowing that he would use it. So it wasn't a surprise. And it wasn't an issue where I jump up and down and go, what have you done to my bike? Because Chris is my friend. And that status surpasses almost everything else, doesn't it? That relationship surpasses all of those things. God's relationship with Israel was, it, he is in the position to be able to say, I will deal with these things. I will deal with the things where, that you have created, the problems you have caused, because my perspective is bigger than this. My perspective is to bring you to be the kind of person, the kinds of people that I want you to be, that I know you can be, because I made you that way. His perspective, did you see this uh, this week in the news? Uh, his perspective is much bigger than ours. There's a forest in Donegal, and somebody somehow has planted a Celtic cross in the middle of it. That's fantastic. But God sees things so much differently to us. 
And I think that's really helpful. We don't want to get into the scenario where we're, we're in knots because fear overcomes what we know. But likewise, we don't want what we know to suppress what we feel. We have a God who is big enough to handle these things. We have a God who has decided that in spite of our offensive sin, he loves us just enough, or maybe even more, to forgive us. He's done that in himself, in Jesus Christ, who came as the shepherd to do that. So perhaps it's okay. Maybe for the, for the people then, Jeremiah is promising that they will come back. The people aren't lost. That the nation isn't going to disappear into history. They will. God will not lose sight of them. His promises will continue to be made real. And for us, perhaps, we need to acknowledge, you know what? I've got a God who can handle my feelings more because I can tell him anything about the situation I'm in. Perhaps I've got a God who loves me more than I could imagine. Perhaps I've got a God who recognizes that I sometimes struggle to acknowledge that I'm lovable. Sometimes we don't think that we're even acceptable. Sometimes we can find ourselves in the little trap that Jehoiakim's people were in, that there's no way out, that God's left me behind because I'm not worth it. But actually what we have is who we have is a God who is utterly committed, more gracious, more understanding, more real, and more helpful than we can possibly imagine. Whatever is happening in the world around us, he came and died to give us life, and life in all its fullness. Which means whatever's going on in your world at the moment, God is aware of, he knows how it affects you, and he's waiting for us to say, help. Shall we pray? Thought we'd use this little pattern here, if you like. Maybe you want to spend five minutes, not even that long. But think about where you're going on, what's going on in your family, what's going on in your world. And we can take those feelings of fear up and their causes to a God who takes up our causes and takes responsibility for healing us. And I would encourage you to remember this prayer. Say it whenever you feel like it. Say it whenever you need to. And say it in the hope that God will answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your prophets to remind us not to lose heart or lose hope. 
Christ. Thank you that you came in your, in your son, Jesus Christ, to save us, to restore us, to buy us back, to bring us to life. We thank you that your spirit dwells in us, that Jesus himself said he would always be with us, and that you call us to walk towards you, to find you. Pray that you help us choose to talk to you. Amen.